Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Tori Belkin. Tori is the Director of Sales at Seros. Seros is a cloud-based design platform for marketers and others who want to create interactive content without coding. Welcome to the show, Tori. Thanks, Jeremy. Glad to be here. I know you've done some great work over the course of the past year or so scaling your sales team. I guess before we get into that, since not that many people may be familiar with Seros, tell us a little bit about what the company does. Essentially what Seros does, it enables marketing teams to be able to spin up really experiential content without needing a coder or developer. So an example of that would just be a landing page or a product page that typically you'd need someone to code animations and interactions into. So we think about content online in the same way that we kind of think about it in print still. So people are, you know, making PDFs for the web, but that's not really the best experience. So really why Seros exists is to take those forms of content that were traditionally for print that now live online and transform them into actual digital experiences, if that makes sense. I would have to dust off a lot of coding to figure out how to do some of those things. And I'm sure you could do it a lot faster with some sort of drag and drop interface. Exactly. And designers are inherently the creative people and they don't typically know how to code. So they're going to their developers and saying, can you hard code this for me? And the developers are like, yes, we absolutely can. But is that a good use of our time? Um, I'm not sure. And then also a lot of the creativity gets lost. So really just putting the power back in the designer's hands to create these really immersive digital experiences. All right. Well, we got a, a good understanding of what Saros does. I always like to ask, what's your favorite sales book of all time? And you can cheat and do leadership or some other book as well, but I always love the sales books. I would have to say that it's, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. Sandler, I know it's a classic, but I go back to it often and reread it because I always find reminders in there time and time again. The content is exceptional. Were there, are there a couple of Sandler techniques that resonate most with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've really built our sales process around the Sandler sales methodology. Um, so I would say I, I actually reread it recently when a new rep started. We kind of read it together recently. And mirror and matching, I feel like, is an underutilized tool. But really using the bonding and rapport at the upfront of a sales call to learn the pace at which people like to move and just how they're talking. I think that's definitely underutilized and something that Sandler really harps on and I, I believe is really great. And then obviously, as a sales leader, the power of an upfront contract, I drill into my team regularly. But I think Sandler does a great job of explaining the components and why that's so important as well. When you're coaching one of your reps at Saros, what's the upfront contract you'd want to hear with those components in it? Let's role play. Pretend I'm, you just called me. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, you know, Jeremy, thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with me today. I know we blocked off an hour. Just want to confirm that that still works for you. Yep, that works. I got a hard stop at the end of the hour. Okay, perfect. So um, what I thought we would do as an agenda for today, and let me know if this works for you, but obviously um, you got on this call today to learn a little bit more about Cero. So I'll tell you a bit about us. Also to keep the conversation very relevant to you, I'm going to want to ask you some questions about your role, your company, and what you're focused on. Again, just really to keep it relevant. And then at the end of the call today, we'll figure out one of two options. Either A, this sounds like something that could work for you guys, and we'll put next steps on the calendar, whatever those might be. But on the other hand of things, if you are thinking that this isn't a fit for you, uh, definitely feel free to be open and honest with me at the end of this call. You won't hurt my feelings. We can part as friends. Does that make sense? Does that work for you? Yep, that works for me perfectly. 
and that's it. Great. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. The upfront contract also is is definitely my favorite Sandler technique. And so many people, the number one thing they miss is actually the the previewing the next steps. That I don't know what it is. They don't have the guts to preview the next steps on the calls. Yeah, and that really is the the most important part. So that when you get to the end of the call and you know prospects wavering, well, I don't know, I need to talk to you know so and so. It's okay. Well, as I stated at the the start of the call you know, please feel free to let me know if this isn't a fit. But if it is, like, let's figure out together what those next steps are and get them on the calendar. Well, let's move on to the second question. So what's the first thing you ever remember selling in your life? It would have to be Girl Scout cookies. I was a Girl Scout for five years. Did you feel like you knew what you were doing? Sometimes I ask this question, people are like, yeah, like my mom took me in front of the grocery store and we set up a card table and I just, and they just don't even remember that well or didn't feel like there was any technique to it. Did you feel like you were the the magic light bulb go on for you while you were doing that? I don't know if I knew I was selling, but I definitely knew that it was a competition. Like, I definitely wanted to sell the most cookies. I vividly remember figuring out like, ooh, how much did so-and-so sell? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to beat them and sell the most. (laughs) Well, actually that competition thing gets at, I think where we're going to go. So that's a really nice transition point. So we want to talk about scaling sales. Tell us a little bit about what that's been like at Saros. I was promoted to director of sales at the beginning of 2018, and my task was to onboard and train five new reps. So um, that's really when I built out most of our sales training program before it was kind of just like a new person starts, sits in on calls and kind of finds their own way. So that was the first time that we actually put some time and effort into building a training program. And now that that's in place, it's been pretty straightforward to plug new reps in um, as they join. And now we do so you know, on, on a regular cadence, maybe one new rep every three months or so. Were you tasked with actually hiring those people as well, or you, or you inherited them? I was. I was tasked with hiring, finding them, everything. What do you look for when you hire? How do you hire? What are the green lights and red lights as you're hiring? I would definitely say coachability is my number one thing. I always want to hear examples of a rep that I'm I'm talking to in an interview, what they've been working on with their current manager, where they were before and where they feel like they've gotten to. I think that that is the number one driving factor. But also, I just want to find someone who is independent, consistent, and then also just someone that has genuine curiosity, just because that's really a a skill you need to have in sales. You actually want reps that get on the phone and listen to their prospects and actually want to learn and are genuinely curious because then they'll want to ask those questions, the discovery questions, the ones that we need to get to to understand if it's going to be a good fit or not. How do you actually go about assessing that? Take coachability. How do you actually determine whether the person is coachable in in the hiring process? I think in terms of coachability, just running through scenarios with them of, um, again, like, what are you working on with your manager currently? Where did you start? Can you give me examples of how you implemented it? I feel like just having them tell real stories about where they were and what they've been working on shows you their coachability level. What about curiosity? How do you test for curiosity? We usually base that one off of the questions that they come prepared with, because if they just come with blanket interview questions and they're not really tailored to Saros, then they're not genuinely curious Um, as a person. You know, if you want them to come in with a baseline understanding, obviously doing their research, that's another thing that we look for is how well are they prepared for the interview, because that's a good indication of how prepared they'll be as a rep. But just asking, you know, genuinely curious questions about the product, the team, you know, how we're scaling the vision, the future, all of that. That's really how we do that one. And then also just 
I guess the, the follow through. So we look for genuine curiosity in the follow up email as well as like a measure of how much they actually took in and were listening to the specifics that we we talked about in the conversation as well. Yeah, and I think the follow up gets at the middle piece you talked about, which is yes, independence, but also conscientiousness. I was talking to somebody recently who said if they don't get a follow up email within 24 hours, then the candidate's out, period. Because if they can't do that during the interview process, they're most certainly not going to do that with customers. And that's those sorts of follow-up emails are critical. We have that exact cutoff internally here too. And I am shocked at how many reps that we're interviewing do not send a follow-up uh, within 24 hours or even at all. It's, it's really crazy. What if you got a written thank you note, but it took a couple of days to come in? Would you override that decision? I don't think so because we live in a digital age. I've definitely gotten handwritten notes before, but the best ones come after an email. You know, it just makes them stand out that much more, especially because hiring usually moves so fast too. It just is not very, you know, intelligent to send one that's going to take that long, especially not without a digital touch point first. I also want that thank you note to be contextually relevant, right? Not just cut and paste for each person they interviewed with, but maybe mention some detail of our conversation. Exactly. And that's the genuine curiosity test right there is like how much did they actually take when like we're listening to your your relevant you know, conversation to bring that up in a follow-up note. Well, so that's the hiring piece. Anything we didn't cover on hiring that's critical in your process? No, I would just say there's always this urgency when you decide you want to hire a salesperson to get someone in the door, but sometimes taking a little bit longer and just thinking about your options is going to help you out in the long run. Don't just take someone because you need to fill the spot. Just you know, be mindful of that, especially if you're doing a hiring class at once like we did um, with those five. It's not about just getting five that can start on the same date because you're trying to you know squeeze them all in. Just really understanding like, yeah, it does take a long time to hire good people, but that's really the point. You want those good people. I guess reflecting on the class concept, right? Because with SDRs, you do often see that, but with sellers, you kind of take them as you can get them and maybe you start them at the beginning of the month. But what was the philosophy behind the class concept or did it just happen that way by coincidence? Yeah, it just happened that way just because we were ready for that level of growth. If it didn't work out, we definitely would have said, okay, you know, if we didn't find a Five, we would have taken four or three or however many and then kept looking. But it just ended up that we found five good candidates that could actually start in the couple weeks out date that we had set. So it just kind of worked out that way. So you got these five coming in and you don't necessarily have a full on onboarding program built yet, it sounds like. So it was your job as well to build out that program. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I built it really from scratch. We had, you know, a couple things, a couple documents here and there of like, tech that you need a log into and all that, but everything else I built from scratch. How long does the onboarding program last there? We have a nine month ramp, but in terms of the initial training, it's about three weeks of heads down, you know, listening to calls, going through, we use Lessonly as a sales enablement platform um, for our training material. So Lessonly courses to learn the sales process and listening to calls. And then after that, it's less structured and more, um, here are just the metrics that you need to be hitting with things that can help along the way, different resources. Do you have different categories that you think about of things that people need to learn? Like you mentioned the tools side, what other categories of things do you want people to learn? 
I want them to learn really our internal politics just as much as like about the product in those couple of weeks as well. So we really do say, you know, we have a great culture here at Saros and everyone's really open. So it's just taking your time in the first couple of weeks to just get to know everyone internally too. What do the different departments do? How do they intertwine with sales? What does that look like? And then of course, product knowledge, our sales process, sales cycle, et cetera. I do think of the market or the customers, right? To understand the personas and, and how people buy the processes and tools. Yep. And then I also think about some basic selling skills. And it, it depends right on the level of people that you're hiring, what, what those selling skills. But for example, the Sandler stuff I would throw into, into that category. Yep. Our courses in Lessonly are built up around our sales process, which as I mentioned, we really didn't mirror with Sandler. And I don't really think it matters how senior someone is. It's always good as a refresher. Like I said, I reread that book frequently as well. So I don't mind putting a more experienced rep through that same Lessonly course as uh, someone who's you know just a couple years into their selling career, um, just before that refresher. But absolutely a big chunk of it is learning how to sell and learning how to sell in the Sandler framework, Saros specifically as well. Yeah, yeah. Every one of these frameworks are adapted to your particular company. And then, yeah, the other two things you mentioned are round out my list of five. So product, obviously, and then your company and culture, because I do think it's so important to understand how to navigate the company. And then you talked about a nine-month ramp. So that's, I guess, are, are they on monthly quotas or quarterly quotas? Quarterly. Quarterly. So by the end of the third quarter, they're expected to hit 100% of quota for the quarter. Yep, exactly. Obviously, our goal is to decrease that ramp time as much as possible, but we found that that you know, is, is a good average for people. So that's what we've been sticking with. So you got them in there. What else do you, you know, your scaling is not easy. What else do you do? And one thing comes to mind is, you know, a lot of times when you scale, you have to mess with territory or account assignment. Yes. Did that come up as a major factor for you? Absolutely. And as you know, an ongoing conversation as well. With the five that we hired at the start of last year, we put them all into the same vertical. So that's how we've decided to scale the sales team here at Saros. Because what we found is we sell into marketers and the pains and the use cases for a B2B software marketer are going to be much different than a marketer who markets to the financial services industry, for example. So we've actually verticalized here and that's worked for us really well. It also was helpful because we put all five of those reps into the same vertical. So they were all learning that together and, and expanding it out. But yeah, always an ongoing conversation now that we're adding you know, new reps once a quarter or so. Were there existing reps in that vertical or that was expansion into a new vertical? So actually it was my vertical that I owned when I was an individual contributor. And I realized that there was enough space for well more than just me to be in there. And then based on just how many accounts I needed to chat with, we backed into the numbers and realized that five was probably about right. And it, it has been. Everyone always wants more target accounts, right? But um, we found that five in that vertical has been sustainable and been working for us. So the territory is one piece. What else came up as a critical issue to address during the scaling process? So with five reps, they all had very similar questions and we use Slack internally as most organizations do. And it was just noticeable that we needed a way to 
maximize my output and make sure that no one was missing information during the onboarding and like, oh, that was a really good question that so-and-so asked. How do I get this information to everyone? So we also took a look at our, our tech stack and figured out, okay, how can we get all this information in one centralized place? So we now use Guru internally. And that's been super, super helpful for not only that class, but now all that knowledge lives in there for new reps that start as well. So scaling our technology alongside actually just scaling the team numbers wise. My favorite feature of Guru is that you put in who's the owner and when does it need to be reviewed by. It's that expiration date feature. I think is just killer feature and great search. I mean, it's just really clean product. Yeah, it's awesome. The expiration one is funny too, because it sends you Slack reminders. Like you have a card that's expired. Can you do it every morning? And I'm like, oh, this is a lot. But then I remember like, okay, this is actually great because if someone goes and finds the card, they're going to see and trust that it's actually um, verified information and you can you know, pick how long you want it to be for also. So, you know, our battle cards don't change too frequently. So those I check in on, you know, once a quarter, whereas some information might be real time and I have to update it every two weeks. So yeah, it's, it's really great from a management perspective and, and definitely helps the reps and they, they utilize it. It's cool. You can see like the usage. And I think 87% of our whole company actually uses Guru on a monthly basis, which is really cool. Yeah, it is one of those few technologies that naturally... You know, as close to naturally has has easy adoption. So we talked about two of the pillars in scaling, the technology side a little bit, as well as heavily the people side. The third strategy pillar is often process. Were there processes that you've modified as you've scaled up the sales team? Our process just in general of how to learn how to sell, we scaled that up again using technology. I kind of put that all in lessonly, but that was the biggest process that I really put into place that didn't exist before was just how we get reps on the phone. What are the checkpoints that they have to get through in order to get on the phone? Because obviously a new rep starts, they're really anxious. They want to you know, be quote alive and they want to start closing their first deals, but just making sure that they know enough to have intelligent conversations the moment that we do put them on the phone. So again, a lot of that was in, is in Lessonly. And then we also do, you know, mock calls with a few other people internally, but yeah, that process wasn't in existence before last year, if you can believe it. Yeah, no, I, I, I can believe it. I think a lot of places are growing quickly and things happen in an ad hoc way and managers themselves are tasked with figuring out how to do things. And it's it's only as the company evolves and matures that they realize that that sort of consistency and, and even certification, right, matters with a rubric and a checklist and that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess the other process that I put in place, at least for my team was just consistent weekly check-ins, which I guess, you know, some managers like to do that. Some reps like that, some don't, but I found it to be helpful to have the rep decide, you know, what they want to cover in their 30 minutes. They get 30 minutes with me once a week. So that could either be picking a call that they want to review strategize more in detail about some deals that we didn't get to in pipeline review or whatever that is, but just having consistent check-in points with each rep individually and holding each other accountable to actually make that meeting happen every week, I feel like has been super important and super helpful as we've been scaling out the team. I got this great tip on one-on-ones from a person I worked at at CB Insights. His name is Mike Hoffman. And it's so simple, and I'm sure it's a universal thing and probably doesn't sound very novel, but it's just to keep a running Google Doc or whatever technology you use that just has the running one-on-one list. In his structure, he just made sure that there was this evergreen part of it that said, here is what I accomplished in the last week, and here's what I'm committing to in the next week. And then every week you'd go back in and you'd be able to see, did you actually accomplish what you committed to? And I think it helps calibrate people's 
activity levels, but also their forecast accuracy. Yeah, I think so too. Definitely holds them more accountable if they're actually typing it out as a commit and know that they have to go back to it and admit to themselves if they did it or not um, the next week for sure. As you've managed more people, what's been the biggest challenge for you personally? I think that I always just want more time in the day, which everyone says. But, you know, as I'm managing all of these reps, I actually have seven now. I want to constantly be on the move, helping them getting down and dirty. But top of mind for me is really just blocking out some time for strategic thinking. So figuring out what's next, how we see all the team from here, um, the next stuff and not getting caught in the day to day now that it is so busy with so many reps. When you refer to blocking out time, will you do that on your calendar during the day? Or for you, is that more like an evening and weekend sort of a thing? Right now it is evening and, and weekends. I'd like to try to find a way to put it in the workday just to have a, you know, a little bit of a life outside of work. But for now, that's kind of where I've been finding the time, which, which has been working. Well, thanks again for sharing your insights with the Hey Salespeople crowd here. Once again, you've been listening to Tori Belkin. She is Director of Sales at Saros and had the great pleasure to scale that team up and deal with all the people and process and technology opportunities that she tackled pretty effectively. So once again, thanks so much for being on, Tori. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Really appreciate it. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.